grateful for our choir, grateful for our 930 service where we got to hear members of the Ridgewood Baptist Church's choir join our choir. And as we worship now, uh, a group from our choir is now at Ridgewood worshiping with them. And we pray God's blessings on our partner church. Let's pray together. We give thanks to you, Lord God, who gave us this day. You gave us the possibility of being transformed by love and called to new places and spaces in our thinking and in our living, individually and corporately. We go through these rhythms of worship, these rituals that we find meaningful and yet we are keenly aware of how they can slip into habit and lose their profundity. So in this moment of prayer, we pray that we might hear more than simply a preacher, that we might hear the presence, the mystery of your spirit that speaks deep within our hearts and calls us to new levels and places of service and devotion. We would be united with you and with all of your children all around the world in many and varied ways with different languages and different rituals. Pray the prayer that Jesus long ago taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was Sunday morning, and the mother opened her son's bedroom door and turned on the lights. Wake up, son, she said. It's time for church. From beneath the covers came the muffled response, I don't want to go to church today. Why do I have to go to church? The mother responded, I'll give you three reasons why you have to go to church today. Number one, our family always goes to church. Number two, it's good for you. And number three, you're the pastor of the church. You have to go to church today. So why are you here this morning? What prompted you to defy the gravitational pull of that mattress and that pillow to get up and be here this morning? What caused you to navigate the terrain of that front sidewalk or that back parking lot and make your way in here? Some of you, I suppose, like that pastor, were forced to go. Much like some of you students are being forced this week and next to go to school even though you don't really want to. Because it's good for you. There are others who go to church because they think it's a sin to miss church. Somehow God's going to be mad at them. And then there are those who go to church really just to be with their friends. As the old guy said, I come to, my, my friend Fred, he comes to church to talk to God. Me, I just come to talk to Fred. Whatever brought you here, I'm glad you're here. 
But I would love for us to leave this place with a deeper and richer sense of why we go to church. What, what importance does this have in our life? And what can we hope to experience and receive even as we give our acts of worship? Last week we read the parable of Jesus often called the parable of the rich fool, the story of the man whose land yielded so abundantly that his barns were not big enough. He had to tear down his existing barns in order to build bigger barns so that he could keep what was his and feel safe and secure in what he himself owned. Much to the contrary, the message that Jesus gives says life is essentially a gift. A gift. It's not something that we can hoard and store up and have our ample goods so that we can feel good someday, but that rather than greed, generosity is the heart of God. That generosity is a kingdom value and speaks to the very nature of God. Therefore, Jesus goes on in this passage to say, don't worry. Don't worry about things. Strive first for the kingdom of God. And then in today's text, Jesus says to his followers, Don't be afraid, little flock. It sounds kind of condescending, little flock. But Jesus is being realistic here. The, the, the people who follow his way are in such a minority. They're going so much against the flow of the culture in which they live that they're, they're like a little flock. Surrounded by wolves. But don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the dream, the hope of God that makes all of life worthwhile. Wow! Where do I sign up to be part of that little flock? And so Jesus answers it sell your possessions, give alms. Make purses that don't fade away or rust away. In other words, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We might say today, put your money where your mouth is. that's, That's a rough entrance fee. That's a pretty hard initiation to be part of this little flock. I mean... I'll have a, let's meet in the room outside for all those who are ready today to sell all your possessions. It'll be a short meeting. And yet there are those occasions in your life and mine, those moments that perhaps you didn't even think of as God moments of faith moments, of religious moments, you've had those moments in your life where something has come over you and you have acted kindly or generously or graciously. Maybe you can think of that moment. Maybe it will come to you even as I speak. That moment in some time in your past, maybe you've had several of them where you 
you've given beyond yourself. You've gone the second mile. You've turned the other cheek. You've lent somebody money knowing that it wouldn't be returned. And as you did, something in you stirred. And you knew, you knew just in that moment, this feels good. This feels right. This may be why I'm here on this earth. Something in you connects with something bigger than yourself, and you get it. Jesus knew that we didn't live in a culture that encouraged such thinking. He knew that we would live in a culture where the popular saying, a saying that I just cannot stand, but you know as well as I do, goes something like this. No good deed goes unpunished. Think about what a negative message that sends. It suggests that this is a dog-eat-dog world out there and that that there's nothing we can do. That everyone's going to trample on the next person and anything you do good is just going to be thrown back in your face. The church says... Jesus says in response, no good deed goes unblessed. No good deed. No act of love, of self-giving. Doesn't have within it the possibility of experiencing that connection to God that makes all of life worth living. That's why I go to church. And frankly, I'm glad I get to go to church three times on Sunday. I feel sorry for Nina. She has to listen to this sermon three times. But I need, I need three times. And every time, not about you, but every time we sing a song or pray a prayer, I hear a piece of it that I didn't hear the last time. And I need that. I need to be prepared as much as I possibly can to have my ears tuned and my eyes focused and my hands unencumbered and my life undistracted and undistorted and undissuaded so that I'm sure I'm ready and awake, my lamps lit, the fuel ready for that moment when grace that comes to me can pass through me to some other group of people and the world, the kingdom can come and God's will can be done as we just prayed on earth as in heaven I think that's what the Hebrews had in mind the writer of the book of Hebrews had in mind about faith we read it as our call to worship it's about a trust that is beyond what we think in our heads it's how we live our lives That's what faith is. To say you are a person of faith is not simply to say you believe facts about Jesus. It means that you walk in this way. It's like that familiar story, you know, of the tightrope walker who one day decided he would leave the circus and the safety of the net, stretch a wire across the Niagara Falls, get a wheelbarrow, and proposed to walk from the United States side to the Canadian side, pushing a wheelbarrow across the wire. How many of you think I can do it, he asked the crowd. They all roared, we believe you can do it. Do you really think I can make it from here to there with all the wind and all the challenge? We know you can do it, they said. Then he asked, 
which of you will ride in the wheelbarrow as I push it across the wire? Faith is stepping into the wheelbarrow, living this life. I talked to an army veteran this week about faith and religion. No offense, Reverend, he said, but I think church is stupid. I thought to myself, well, no offense, but I think you're stupid. But I didn't say it out loud, thanks be to God. But he said, I I think institutional church is not worth it. You go through these rituals on Sunday. I could be out walking in the park. You do these things at church. I I believe in God, I guess. Mainly, he said, I believe in karma. I said, "I, I understand how church can feel dull and lifeless. I understand the possibility of having worship that is meaningless. In fact, long ago, one of the writers of the Bible, Isaiah, talked about a faith that's dull and lifeless, about sacrifices being offered to God and solemn assemblies being gathered, and God saying, just stop it. Just stop it. This means nothing to you, and thus it means nothing to me. But I wondered with this army veteran if there might be more to this rhythm of what we do Sunday after Sunday than meaningless ritual. What if I posed to him? What we do here in church is what much like what happens in the military as we form soldiers by having them go through rituals and rhythms that in any given moment may feel Lifeless and meaningless and purposeless. We teach them how to make a bed just so. How to wear a uniform just so. How to march in step. How to turn to the left and right just so. I've never known an army to win a war based on how beds are made, uniforms worn, or marching in step is is, uh, lived into. On the other hand, What those rhythms do is form soldiers into people who know that it's not just about them, who know that attention to detail is keenly important, who know to keep themselves awake and alert and ready because they never know when the sergeant is going to come in and inspect. That in just that same way, when the church gathers to praise God, to pass the peace among ourselves, to make our confessions of sin, to ponder what the scriptures say, to pass the offering plate, to sing songs, to have quiet moments, they're all about forming this little flock into soldiers of Christ. And our weapon? Our weapon is the work of love. Self-giving. It is the way, the truth, the life that Jesus Christ came into the world to give to us. We don't do these drills without purpose. It's why we come to church to be formed and reformed and prepared and alert like the homeowner who doesn't know when the thief is going to come. We're formed into soldiers of Christ. You also be ready, said Jesus. For the Son of Man's coming in an hour that you do not expect.
The writer of 1 Peter says, always be ready to make your defense and give an account for that hope that is within you. That's why I go to church. I go to church to learn to love more completely, more constantly, more unconditionally. I go to church to see the world more broadly as well as more closely. I go to church so that I'm taught and formed to make choices from a larger frame. I go to church so that I don't forget that there's God. Madeline Langell says we use our minds as far as we can, and yet we acknowledge that our minds can, cannot take us all the way. That there's God. I go to church to remember again that there's God. I go to church in order to understand that the way of Jesus is not a supplement to the dominant ways of this world. Can I say that again? That the ways of Jesus aren't simply a supplement to the dominant ways of this world, but rather they are an alternative way, a different way. Don't be afraid, little flock. For it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But we're going to be walking in a different way. I go to church to be reminded that Jesus didn't come to give us these rituals of worship just to confuse our busy lives, but to invite us into a new order, a new way, a new truth, a new life wherein the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. As I say those words, some of you recognize them. Oh, those are words from the Messiah. They are. But first they were words from the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's a book of the Bible that's often bastardized by the church. It's often reduced to simply uh, a prediction about the end of time. Much as the passage we have this morning from Luke 12 is often reduced to a passage talking about the end of time. I think that's a cop-out. I think it has to do with Jesus Christ coming into the world today. The choir sang, Lord, we give you thanks for the beauty of this day. Why? Why is it so beautiful? How can we say it's beautiful in a world of pain and brokenness? How can we sing such a ridiculous line? Because in the midst of the brokenness, in fact, through the brokenness, Jesus Christ comes into the world. So be ready. Now, for the moment when you, you, get that secret invitation to become part of the little flock. When you have your hand on the knob to open the door to the kingdom of God in this world, it can happen at any time. It might happen in the hallway after this service. It may happen in the parking lot. It may happen on your drive home. It may happen in your neighborhood or tomorrow morning or this week at school. For Christ is coming into the world. We've heard many times the story of the old shoemaker who dreamt that Jesus 
was going to come the next day and visit him in his little shop. He woke up so convinced of the dream that he began to act on it. He cleaned the shop from one end to the other. He set candles around to welcome Jesus. He even made a special pair of shoes to give to Jesus and prepared a meal that they might share together when he came into his shop. He sat down to wait. And about midway through the morning, an old man knocked on the store's door. And when he opened the door, he saw the old man wearing a pair of old shoes that were tattered and torn and full of holes. He invited the old man in. And of all the shoes in his shop, the only ones that fit him right, fit him well, were the shoes that he had made for Jesus. He put those shoes on him, tied them up tight, sent him off with his blessing and returned to his waiting for Jesus. The afternoon wore on. The food was getting cold. There was a knock at the door, and it was an old woman. She said, I've not eaten for days. And he could tell that she was just about to lose her life. He helped her in, set her at the table, invited her to eat the meal that he had prepared. When she had eaten and thanked him, he sent her on his way and got back to the exciting work of waiting for Jesus to appear. But now the evening was beginning to come and the candles were getting low. He waited and he waited. He heard a crying outside his door. He opened the door and there was a little boy who had lost his way home and couldn't find where he was supposed to go. The old man thought to himself, if I leave, I'm liable to miss him. But if I don't, this little boy. So he grabbed his coat helped the little boy home. When he got back to his shop, the candles were finally burned down. He sat discouraged at the table, put his hands in his, his head in his hands and said, Oh, Jesus, why didn't you come as you said you would? And you know the end of the story. Somewhere deep within him, a voice says, within, says to him clearly, Lift up your heart. I kept my word. Three times I knocked upon your door. Three times my shadow fell on your floor. For I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the boy on the homeless street. That's why I go to church. I don't want to miss him when he comes. I love the end of that passage where Jesus says to his followers, if you are like those attendants who wait for the bridegroom to show up, then the the bridegroom, when he arrives, will put his apron on, will invite you to sit at the table, and will feed you, which is to say, what we give, we receive. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May our worship at this church and at all of our churches around our city become a source of power and encouragement and calling 
as we place ourselves before you and find out what it means to be made in your image. This is our prayer in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.